Who was it that said, if you think you understand quantum physics, you don't understand quantum physics? Consciousness, intelligence, free will, determinism, black holes, protecting the planet from asteroids, Heisenberg uncertainty principle, atoms, ion traps, nuclear magnetic resonance, superconductors, photons, artificial intelligence, machine learning, past and future, classical physics, time travel. I mean, the whole thing. I can tell it's gonna get very hot as I start speaking, so tell me if I start to look really shiny. Quantum physics puts everything into question. It defies every intuition you have about the natural world. Quantum is a very strange regime of physics. Things can exist in this state of superposition where they can be like ghosting on each other, where they can be this and that at the same time. Entanglement. Quantum entanglement. Two objects, if they're quantum mechanically entangled, are still strongly related to each other, even though they can be a vast distance apart. The notion of the multiverse. There's a whole family of Hartmuts in different states and then going through different experiences and different life trajectories. The famous one is quantum tunneling. 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 Tunneling is the slippage between universes. For a long time, people thought those effects only existed in the microscopic domain. Like uh, atoms, electrons, photons. But really, it's the theory of our universe. So if you want to build a quantum computer, you want to incorporate those new phenomenon into information processing. Maybe quantum computation is one of those instruments that's going to allow us to see quantum effects at the human scale. Google and NASA have teamed up to share one of the world's first commercial quantum computers. This machine, made by Canada's D-Wave, will be installed in a NASA research center in California. This is the inside of one of our dilution refrigerators. All of this infrastructure is to basically operate the chip at a temperature that's two orders of magnitude colder than interstellar space. The, the processor is a quantum computer. It uses things called qubits, as well as being either one or a zero. A qubit can also be both at the same time, therefore bringing about a quantum leap in terms of power. Harnessing principles of reality that are, up until very recently, completely not observable by us is just fascinating in ways that I can't completely articulate. The overwhelmingly obvious killer app for quantum computation is optimization. Optimization problems are, are extremely difficult problems. Actually, all Google server centers together will not be capable of coming up with the best solution to these optimization problems as they get larger. So now, what is an optimization problem? Here, give you an example. You want to do a trip through South America and you want to visit a number of cities. And then you ask, what is the cheapest ticket I can get to visit, let's say, 20 um, cities? And you can, of course, different routes and, and different uh, airlines. 
and sort of imagine I list all the different options I have for my different routes to travel to these cities. We currently, as a civilization, we generate vast amounts of data. It could be climate data, genomic data, but it's very difficult to generate useful insights oftentimes from that data. If you can solve optimization problems better, you have an important resource at your hand. I think at least it teaches us that we shouldn't be naive about our world, that we shouldn't think about the world as a simple machine which forces us to consider you know, more sophisticated notions of how the reality around us is actually shaped. I can't ask it how long I'll live or the meaning of life. Really, we don't know what the best questions are to ask that computer. That's exactly what we're trying to understand now. To me, the most important question is, are we alone? And I have a feeling that quantum computers, as they mature, are going to help us answer that question. This is, of course, a more long-term research endeavor, and there are still tremendous um, obstacles and, and big questions. Some of those will be addressed in D-Wave. Some will be addressed at NASA, and some at Google. I wasn't sure I would be able to experiment with a quantum computational device in my lifetime, and now I'm confident that I will be able to. How amazing it is that we, with our monkey heritage and monkey brains and monkey fingers have somehow lucked into a brain that allows us to ask legitimate questions about the nature of physical reality. That's so cool. It's that human risk to go forth into that unknown frontier, whether it's space exploration or quantum exploration. We do it because we must. We do it because that's what it means to be human. Let's play a game. Close your eyes and picture a shoe. Okay, did anyone picture this? This? How about this? We may not even know why, but each of us is biased toward one shoe over the others. Now imagine that you're trying to teach a computer to recognize a shoe. You may end up exposing it to your own bias. That's how bias happens in machine learning. But first, what is machine learning? Well, it's used in a lot of technology we use today. Machine learning helps us get from place to place, gives us suggestions, translates stuff, even understands what you say to it. How does it work? With traditional programming, people hand code the solution to a problem, step by step. With machine learning, computers learn the solution by finding patterns in data. So it's easy to think there's no human bias in that. But just because something is based on data doesn't automatically make it neutral. Even with good intentions, it's impossible to separate ourselves from our own human biases. So, our human biases become part of the technology we create in many different ways. There's interaction bias, like this recent game where people were asked to draw shoes for the computer. Most people drew ones like this, 
So as more people interacted with the game, the computer didn't even recognize these. Latent bias. For example, if you were training a computer on what a physicist looks like, and you're using pictures of past physicists, your algorithm will end up with a latent bias, skewing towards men. And selection bias. Say you're training a model to recognize faces. Whether you grab images from the internet or your own photo library, are you making sure to select photos that represent everyone? Since some of our most advanced products use machine learning, we've been working to prevent that technology from perpetuating negative human bias. From tackling offensive or clearly misleading information from appearing at the top of your search results page, to adding a feedback tool on the search bar so people can flag hateful or inappropriate autocomplete suggestions. It's a complex issue and there's no magic bullet, but it starts with all of us being aware of it so we can all be part of the conversation. Because technology should work for everyone. Hey guys, Practical Psychology here, and in this video we're going to be talking about 12 cognitive biases. Most of these were researched by Ismanoff TV, who has some great animations on topics like these and other self-development topics, so check them out in the description or on the end screen. Now let's get into it. Number one is anchoring bias. We humans usually completely rely on the first information that we receive, no matter how reliable that piece of information is when we take decisions. The very first information has tremendous effect on our brain. For instance, I want to sell you a car, and you are interested to buy it. Let's say you ask me what the price is, and I tell you $30,000. Now, if you come back a week later and I say I'll sell it to you for $20,000, this seems like a new, very cheap price to you, right? Because your judgment is based on the initial information you got, which was $30,000. You feel like you're getting a great deal, but... Let's say the first time that you ask me and I say 10000 and then you come back the next week and I tell you I'm going to sell it to you for 20000 Now it doesn't look like a very good deal because of the anchoring bias. This is just a very generic use of the anchoring bias, and I don't want a bunch of comments about why a $30,000 car should be sold for $10,000, but another example is trees. What if I asked you if the tallest tree in the world was higher or lower than 1,200 feet? And if so, how tall? The same effect occurs if I ask you to guess out of thin air instead of giving you an anchor of 1,200 feet. The results are crazy. Number two, availability heuristic bias. People overestimate the importance of information that they have. Let me give you an example here. Some people think that terrorism is the biggest threat to the United States because that's what they see on TV. The news always talks about it. And because of that, it inflates the danger. But if you look at the real perspectives, televisions cause 55 times more deaths than terrorism. Yes, TVs literally fall on people and kill them 55 more times than terrorism. You are more likely to be killed by a cow than a terrorist, according to the Consumer Product Safety Commission. It's more likely to die from a coconut falling on your head and killing you than a terrorist attack. Thank you, Gary Vaynerchuk, for that one. Even the police that are hired to protect you from terrorists. It's estimated that you are 130 times more likely to be killed by the police than by a terrorist. That's because people do not make their decision based on facts and statistics, but usually they make it on news and stories and stuff they hear from other people. It's way scarier to die from a terrorist attack than a falling coconut. And because of this, usually the news won't cover it because there's not much money in it. Number three is the bandwagon effect. People do or believe in something not because they actually do believe it, but because that's what the rest of the world believes in. In other words, following the rest without thinking. If you've ever heard someone say, well, if your friends jump off a bridge, would you? 
then that someone is accusing you of the bandwagon effect. It happens a lot with us. I mean, a lot of people vote for a certain candidate in the election because he's the most popular, or because they want to be part of the majority. It happens a lot in the stock market, too. If someone starts buying a stock because they think it's going to rise, then a lot of other people are going to start picking the stock as well. It can also happen during meetings. If everyone agrees on something, you are more likely to agree with them on that object. In management, the opposite of this is called groupthink, and it's something companies try very hard to deter. Because if 9 out of 10 people agree on something, but the last person doesn't and won't speak up, it could squelch a great idea. Number four is choice supportive bias. So people have the tendency to defend themselves because it was their choice. Just because I made the choice, it must be right. For example, let's say a person buys an Apple product. Let's say it's a MacBook instead of a Windows PC. Well, he's more likely to ignore the downsides or the faults of the Apple computer while pointing out the downsides of the PC. He is more likely to notice the advantages of the Apple computer, not the Windows computer. Why would someone point out that they made a bad decision? Well, let's say you have a dog. You think it's awesome because it's your dog, although it might poop on the floor every now and then. The same goes for political candidates. Not the pooping part, but they both may suck. But one of the lesser of two evils may be more right in your mind because you voted for them. Number five, confirmation bias. We tend to listen to information that confirms what we already know, or even interpret the information that we receive in a way that confirms the current information that we already have. Let's say that your friend believes that sweets are unhealthy. This is generally a pretty broad belief. He will only focus on the information that confirms what we already know. He is more likely to click on videos that confirm that belief, or read articles that support his argument. He doesn't go through and type, positive health effects of increasing blood glucose levels, or positive effects of eating a bowl of ice cream. No, he will instinctively go to Google and type in, how bad is sugar for you? The confirmation bias is a very dangerous in scientific situations and is actually one of the most widely committed cognitive biases. Number six, the ostrich bias. This is the decision, or rather subconscious decision, to ignore the negative information. It may also be an indication we only want to consider the positive aspects of something. This goes beyond not only looking for the positive information, but this is when there is negative information and we choose to ignore it as an outlier. Sometimes, even when we have a problem, we try to ignore it thinking it will go away. Let's say you have an assignment to do. It's not something that you really want to do, so you may just keep on procrastinating with it because your mind thinks that it will go away or is solved by ignoring it. Smokers usually, they know it's bad for their health, but a lot of them keep ignoring the negative implications of cigarettes, thinking it will not damage them or might stop them before anything serious will happen, because they consider themselves an outlier. To avoid finding out negative information, we just stop looking for it. Now, this could be a serious crime in many scientific research laboratories, and basically promotes ignorance. Number seven, outcome bias. We tend to judge the efficacy of a decision based primarily on how things turn out. After a decision is made, we rarely examine the conditions that existed at the time of the decision, choosing instead to evaluate performance solely or mostly on whether the end result was positive or not. In other words, you decide whether an action is right or wrong based on the outcome. This goes a little bit into consequentialism, but it goes hand in hand with the hindsight bias. Let's say there's a manager who wants to take the decision. His team and the data are telling him to make one decision, but his gut is telling him to make another decision. Well, he goes ahead and makes the decision that his gut told him to do. And then in the end, it was the right decision. Does that mean it's actually better to trust your gut rather than listen to your team who is advising you based on facts and statistics? Well, that's what the outcome bias is. You take the decision and base the effectiveness of your decision on the outcome, even if it was luck. Now, this is bad logical thinking and will actually lead you to ruined thinking and bad outcomes in the long run. Number eight, overconfidence. Sometimes you get too confident and start taking decisions not based on facts, but based on your opinion or gut because you have been correct so many times in the past. For example, you are a stock trader and you pick five stocks, and in a couple years all of them turn out to be successful or profitable. It increases your confidence to a point to where you can start believing that whatever stock you pick will be successful. 
It's quite dangerous because you might stop looking at the facts and solely rely on your opinion. Check out the gambler's fallacy if you want more information on this. Just because you flipped a coin five times and it landed on heads doesn't mean that the next time there's more than a 50% chance of it landing on a head again. Ego is the enemy is a great book about this bias, and I just made a book review on it. Number nine, placebo bias. When you believe something will have a certain effect on you, then it will actually cause that effect. For instance, you are sick and the doctor gives you a certain medicine. Even if that medicine does not actually help you, even if it's just made of sugar, you believe that it will help you, and it actually causes you to recover quicker. This might not sound very logical, but dozens of experiments have proven this. That's why, if you realize positive people usually have positive life, and vice versa, the way you think is super important, and we've hit on this in previous videos. For the same reason, a lot of personal development books say that if you really believe something, you will eventually achieve it, or at least find a way to achieve it. Because a placebo effect will give you the motivation that you need. The mind truly is a powerful thing. And this actually isn't always bad thinking. In fact, you can use a placebo effect in our advantage if we use it wisely. There's actually a reverse of this, and it's called the nocebo, and this is when it is negative. Number 10, survivorship bias. This bias is when you are judging something based on the surviving information. Let me give you an example here. There are a lot of articles titled like, Five things millionaires do every morning. Does that mean doing those things every morning will make you a millionaire? No, there are tons of people who did them and didn't become a millionaire, but there are also tons of people who did them and did become a millionaire. So these articles are primarily based on the ones who survived and reject all other people who did the same thing, but did not become millionaires. Another example is to say that buildings in an ancient city were built using extreme engineering because they lasted so long. This is a bad conclusion because you aren't considering what ratio of buildings were built to how many that lasted. You're only seeing the ones that lasted thousands of years of weathering when the other 90% have already washed away. It's hard to know what you don't know. Number 11, selective perception. I like this one. Selective perception is a form of bias that causes people to perceive messages and actions according to their frame of reference. Using selective perception, people tend to overlook and forget that contradicts their beliefs or expectations. Let's say, for example, you're a smoker and you're a big fan of soccer. You are more likely to ignore all the negative advertisements about cigarettes because since you are already smoking, you have this perception that it's okay to smoke. But if there's an advertisement about soccer, you are more likely to notice it because you have a very positive perception about it. This is actually something really interesting and has to do with how you perceive the world due to your subconscious mind and what it filters out. The last one is called the blind spot bias. If I asked you how biased you are, you would probably say that you are less biased than the average person, and you are more likely to base your judgment on facts and statistics, and that's what's known as the blind spot bias, or the bias bias. You are biased because you think that you are less biased than everyone else. For example, I gifted something to my teacher, and the next week she gave me a good grade on a test. If you ask her whether she was biased when she gave me that grade, the answer will be that the gift never affected her decision when marking my paper. But if you ask her if other teachers are biased when students give them gifts, she will say yes, in most cases. And that's what the blind spot bias is. I really enjoyed creating this video, but most of the content was curated by my friend Izmanov. He's got a channel similar to mine, and I'd like you to check it out here or in the description. I hope you guys enjoyed this video and learned something. If you want more valuables like this, check out my channel and subscribe. Thanks for watching. Ronnie, hi. Thank you so much for listening to some of my segments out here. And uh, yeah, the dark side. I just echoed some of your content. Now, one thing about narcissism and social media was so interesting. It's so true. My kids, one of their responses when I talk about 
how these YouTubers are trying to go viral and it's all about making money and stuff. They really, some of the kids who like some of these people like them because they see that they make a lot of money for doing nothing. They just somehow think that they are worthy. Oh my gosh. It's frightening. So anyway, thank you so much for your content and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Hey Maria, thanks for that call in. You know, I've heard my kids say the same thing. They don't say it so much anymore because they don't have a lot of access to YouTube or to television. You know, I've heard a lot of kids, um, teenagers, 20-something-year-olds, they feel the same way. They're looking for that easy out and they see these, these uh, you know, I mean like the Kardashians come to mind. But it, it seems like they're not doing anything and they're making tons of money. Now in reality, they probably are doing quite a lot and, you know, I'm not a fan of the Kardashians, don't get me wrong, but... Now, there's probably a lot going on behind the scenes, but it's made to look like they're not really doing anything, and they're just kind of, you know, oh, look at me, and, and uh, you know, look, look at how I dress today, and look at how I dressed my kid, and and that's what's going out there, and that's what people are following. It's it's the wrong message that's that's being put out there. Now, if they were putting out messages about how hard they worked at their business today and, and the employees they had to deal with and, you know, what what it took to run everything that they did today and the work that they did, that would be an entirely different message and that would be something worth repeating. Now, the same thing goes with, um, you know, with the professional athletes. It's made to look like, oh, it's all fun and games and they're just making millions of dollars and... and you know, and they don't really have to do anything, they're just going on their natural talents. Well, yeah, that's probably true to a point. But, you know, there really is a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. Now, again, I'm not provo promoting professional athletes in any way because I would rather see people focus more on math and science and something that's actually going to help our society, certainly not professional sports. But I think my point is, the wrong message is being promoted. If we were to promote the work ethic and make that what is great about what these people are doing, not the money and the fancy cars and the, you know, the private jets and all that kind of stuff, our society would be in much better shape. So thanks for the call in. Listening to your cast, the question is, is and answer is participation. And whether it be social media, such as Anchor, Facebook, Twitter, wherever, it's all about the participation. And that's the answer. Hey, Jason, thanks for that call in. And yeah, I agree with you. It's about participation. It's, well, it's about participation as part of it. And it's like I just responded to Maria's call-in, promoting the correct message. So having the right motives and the right message and then making it, um, you know, creating a participation where there's some back and forth and there's some real involvement and um, an effort to move forward and promote our society in good ways. Thanks for that call-in.
Yeah, you know, we got to charge extra for those three-syllable words. Complicit. Four, if we say, if we say complicity. Oh, yes. Perhaps we shall name our next child Complicity. <laughs> but wonderful segments. Very good. Thank you. I enjoyed those. Aw, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed those. And if and when we have a fourth child, complicity will be when men can carry babies to full term. Because three is enough for me. And it sounds like you're offering. Working like a woman, you have been featured in the latest Integrity Radio mashup. This segment is called Celebration of Culture, featuring Working Like a Woman. I hope you and your listeners enjoy. For those of you who have not heard Z's mashups, go to Integrity Radio and be sure to listen. He's got a bunch on his station today, and you can go back through his past episodes and listen. He's got his own music studio here in the house and a lot of the music on the mashups is his own original music. You know, he'll get out the guitar and play or get out the drums and play and then he features voices from different people on Anchor depending on, you know, who he's interacted with that day. So go take a listen. Lots of fun and and very enjoyable and very creative. So we all just went to see Star Wars tonight and, you know, lots of cool special effects and following along with the normal Star Wars theme, there's lots of robots and artificial intelligence and all that great sci-fi stuff. Now I'm a computer scientist and mathematician by trade and also very interested in, you know, a lot of the information I've been posting lately about different psychology and, uh, you know, the study of different biases and, and cognitive biases and things like that. So I started thinking about artificial intelligence, and artificial intelligence is actually one of my favorite computer science studies. You know, and everyone is... You know, they've got their different opinions about artificial intelligence, and some people are scared of it, some people think it's awesome. And, you know, the more I think about it, you know, this is kind of a a duh thing, but, you know, the base of the program for the artificial intelligence, obviously, is written by a person. And the information that you feed it, at least originally, is from a person. Now, the idea, of course, is that the AI will start finding its own information and start looking out in the world with whatever sensors it has and start forming its own opinions. But those opinions that it's going to form are based on the initial information that it was given. So that is the foundation for that AI's, you know, intelligence. So how could an AI possibly not be biased? It's going to be biased by whoever created that program. 
So how are we going to create this new and better world if we're just programming biases into our AI? How can we not do that? I mean, we're only human. How do we even, you know, how are we even going to know that we're doing that? And what happens when the AI replicates and reinforces that bias by a million, a billion times? And why didn't I think about that until, like, right now? And how many computer scientists haven't thought of this yet? Yet another great example of how we, as a human race, can't really move forward until we really understand ourselves.